Hello, welcome back, board game fans. This is Undead Viking coming to you in another podcast of Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers with my co-hosts, Joel Eddy and Marco Arnato. Uh, before we move on to uh, what we're going to be discussing today, I just want to take a couple of moments to thank the fine folks at 2d6.org uh, for hosting our podcast and our reviews. And uh, after you get done listening to us uh, talking here, I invite you to check out that website and, and read all of the, uh, the great news and reviews that are offered there uh, by us and many other very, very good board game reviewers. So um, right now I'm going to Ask Joel, uh, what you been up to, my man? What you, I haven't talked to you in a few weeks, so uh, what you've been doing in the whole board game world lately? Well, uh, all kinds of stuff. I just wanted to give a little shout-out to a micro-badge uh, that I created uh, on the inspiration from Marco and Lance from a couple episodes ago. I created a micro-badge for Pooh the Card Game. And it is... <laughs> Which speaks volume of the kind of inspiration that we are to you, I think. <laughs> Exactly. Flattering. Flattering. Flattered. Finest moment. But anyway, it's a it, it's a micro badge that you are only allowed to purchase if you have played a full and entire game of Pooh the Card Game. I will never own it. Okay. Exactly. I think there's three owners. One one of them is myself. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to let everybody know that that's there. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing a few games. I've been playing a ton of Mage Knight. And I'm absolutely in love with that game. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say I want to replace my top game from last year. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, it's pretty fun. It's really, really fun. Look forward to doing a review of that soon. Um, but we can talk enough about Mage Knight later, I think. Uh, I also played Chicago Express for the first time, which is an old winsome train game that was reprinted by Queen Games. And I've, I've really, that's been sort of uh, not really a grail game because it's not really old or anything, but I've been wanting to play it for quite a while and got a chance to play that with family who are sort of into that kind of game, and we quite enjoyed it. So I was definitely pleased that that was as good as I thought it was going to be. Oh, what else did I play? I've been playing a lot of Kingdom of Solomon lately. Can't seem to get enough of that one for some reason. And I don't know. I did video reviews. My last few video reviews was basically stuff I've been playing. Rapa Nui. And I forget what I did with video reviews on. <laughs> but uh, those things. And then I got Keltus the card game, which is pretty funny. It's uh, If you've heard of Lost Cities, there's a two-player card game. Everybody's heard of Lost Cities, I think. Well, then they made a Lost Cities board game, which I guess isn't very good. And then they turned that into Keltus the board game, which I haven't played either. And now they have Keltus the card game, which is basically like Lost Cities for two to four players. It's actually really, really good. I think I may like it better than Lost Cities. I don't know. It kind of does well, some things better and does some things not as good. I mean, it's, it's liking just, something better than Lost Cities. That's that's kind of like liking somebody something better than Pooh the Card Game, isn't it? I mean, oh, that's not even fair. Lost no. Cities is not a good game. I'm no, sorry. Yeah, but it's fun with like the right you know type of folks that are just want to like kind of. How to define the right kind of folks for Lost Cities? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I like my wife likes to play it. Okay, so you mean light she's, gamers. She's not yeah, she's not a uh, she's not a gamer really. Casual know. gamers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun half an hour, you know. It's If you have time to play Lost Cities, you have time to play Biblios, which is Oh, I like that game too. A hundred times the game 
that Lost Cities is. I agree. So, no, I agree, but I still enjoy it. And it has sentimental value, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, if a game has sentimental value and the fact that my wife enjoys it, then it makes it fun for me. So. Well, if your wife doesn't like Biblios, then you need to divorce her. Yeah, I haven't tried Biblios with my wife. <laughs> I have well, tried... Don't ask, don't tell. You know, don't ask questions that you don't want answered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah. But uh, anyway, Celtus is fun. If you like Lost Cities, I think you'd like Celtus, but if you can't find it in America, so... Good so point. let me get this straight. So they, they went from the card game to the board game to the board game back to the card game. Mm-hmm. And then this year which, they come which, out with Celtus the Dice Game. <laughs> which which just proves that uh, Reiner Kinesio will make anything, right? Just just stamp my name on it and send it out because I know it'll sell 10,000 copies. No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there's changes to – I haven't played the two board games, but the differences between uh, Lost Cities and Celtus the Card Game are – there's a lot of similarities, but there's a couple of really cool little different things that, um, you know, it's, he didn't just, you know, uh, I don't want to cuss here, but he didn't poo it out, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's good. It's good. It's a nice, you know, it's a quick little game. And that's pretty much it. Oh, well, no, forget it. Next. <laughs> I haven't played. Okay, I got BSG Express. And I kind of sat and played like a little solo game just to figure out the mechanics, and it's friggin' awesome. I can't wait to play that with some other people. <laughs> so anyway, I'm really excited about that game. It's like I hope I can do like an unbiased review because I'm like I already love it, and I haven't even played it, so I don't know. Well, take that. The wow, reviews that's... reviews are not supposed to be bi- unbiased. They're supposed to be. Oh, they're supposed to be informed. I mean, you play it, you love it, and that's that, that's what you share. Right. But you know what I'm saying. Anyway. Yes, Marco, what you been what you been doing lately? Well, I also been I've been playing uh, Mage Knight. What a coincidence! Yeah, a friend of mine has it, and I was curious to try it. I tried the introductory game, and today I tried another game. I don't remember the name of the scenario. It's a scenario where you go after the cities, um, and we trade we played that competitively because that's a scenario that can be played either way. And I love it. I love that game. I really love it. I really would like to get my hands on a comp at some point so I can also make a review. Well, and play it more too because uh, I don't own a copy. So um, I'd like to have one so I can play it solo. I like the idea of exploring that way of playing the game, and I just like the storytelling aspect of it. So much so, actually, that... Um, it made me want to play other story-driven um, fantasy type of games with exploration and random monsters that pop up. And I printed, and now I'm playing Barbarian Prince, this old uh, paragraph-based uh, solo game from the 90s that uh, went back to be popular in the hardness of Board Game Geek a couple of weeks ago because it has been redesigned, not mechanically, but somebody made new graphics for the game, so the game looks really cool now, looks really beautiful. And if you just print the components without having to do anything particularly fancy, the game just looks beautiful, and the game is also a lot of fun. It is incredibly hard, uh, it is terrifyingly hard, but I enjoy it, even though there's just a masochism in it in playing a game that you know it's, you know it's terrifyingly hard and you will lose horrendously almost every time. Yet it just comes up as you know fun adventure and it's a system. It's it's a game that creates interesting stories, interesting narrations. On the wargaming gaming side of things, I played Shenandoah uh, by Columbia Games, a block game about the Stonewall Jackson's campaign in the Valley, and I liked it. 
I like that very much. Very different feel from most Columbia Block games that I played, uh, for a variety of reasons. Different pace, a small number of, of blocks, um, and that means that you have to be careful, especially because small number of blocks and brutal battles. That means that you can run out of blocks quite easily. Uh, challenging game to play well. Not to play at all, because rules are simple, but challenging to play. I just... It. Uh, have you played it, Joel? <laughs> did you? I did played you it against you. Oh, yeah. Well, since you bring it up, yes, <laughs> well, you know that uh, it can be taught in five minutes. Uh, yep. I taught the game to draw over over the phone in like five minutes, and then we played it on Vassal. Uh, it plays well on Vassal. Not every game translates in a good Vassal module, but this one does. And I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it, Joel? I did. I uh, I made several. I made two critical mistakes. One early, and then one sort of you know what fourth turn in. But you know it was a learning game, and uh, yep, it's yep. it's it's tricky. It's a little. It's kind of like a brain burner in a way. It, it, you it know? is. It is. It is. Again, not because of the rules, but the yeah. map and the way the roads and the connections are. Well, there is a review coming out soon, so you know it will be clear to everybody what I mean. But interesting mm-hmm. game, but very unique in feel. Um, and I also just started playing a GMT game that came out, I think, two years ago. It's called The Caucasus Campaign, um, which is about the campaigning Caucasus in World War II. Um, detailed. Pretty detailed. Again, simple on the general rules, but with a lot of little details about what that unit can do, what that group can do, you know, what the Italians can do, what the Alpan units can do. This is a bicycle regiment, and I think that's just adorable. You know, that level of detail. They had the bicycle German regiment that, of course, has special rules about movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, interesting game. I just started a game by email, so this will be a while before I form a full idea. Since I'm enjoying the email, I'll probably try to play it also face-to-face to to get a full game in. Uh, But those have been the main games. Oh, yeah, I actually played um, uh, Firepoint, Firepoint, uh, the co-op game, which is pandemic with flames and stuff blowing up and you running out of burning buildings uh, trying to save a little cat. Um, it's a cop game where the players take the role of five fighters and they're entering this building and it's just where all sort of horrendous things are happening. Um, and we found it enjoyable. My group did find it enjoyable. Not the hardest cop that I played, actually more on the easy side. Um, but, uh, but interesting, very thematic, very thematic, very flavorful. And these are pretty much the main things I played, the, the, the ones that I can come up with right now to come to memory. How about you, Lance? Uh, I've been playing a lot of varied and different games uh, lately. Um, oh, where do I even begin? Uh, I've been playing uh, Wiz War, the uh, reprint uh, from uh, Final Fantasy games. Um, that's weird because that's a game that I like uh, wanted for like the longest time when I was younger, and uh, I you know searched for um, the reprints of it and everything like that. Never could find it. So then when I heard that um, FFG was gonna come out with it, I was really excited about it. And I'd never played the original, so you know I there's you know of course people uh, saying that oh they changed this or altered that and it isn't as good anymore. I think that game works amazing as a four player game, and that's about it. But um, I'll do a review uh, on that in more de- in depth later. Um, let's see, I've been playing 
Um, well, Rex, the other new Final, Final Fantasy games. So once again, never played Dune, never, um, you know, never got a hold of a copy, never played it. So uh, I don't have anything to go on as far as the others, you know, as far as the, the, the past game. So I can't really compare, which I think, um, you know, a lot of people are really wanting to know if there's any big difference. I'll say this. Um, while I, I, I greatly enjoy the game, um, I can see that the game would be a lot more interesting if uh, you actually had some sort of uh, uh, care uh, or some sort of connection to the the different factions that are uh, on the board. And I realize that isn't uh, Final Fantasy's fault. I mean, they wanted to actually do the Dune game, but you know they couldn't because of licensing. So. I mean, it's kind of like if you played the Game of Thrones board game, but you didn't have the, the different houses. They were just, you know, you know, house blue and house red and house green. You know, it, it wouldn't be as right. good of a game, mm-hmm. you know, without without the theme, you know, to tie it in, you know, which, you know, is, is, is really, you know, no fault. Um, you know, um, once again, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a review of that theoretically fairly soon. Um, I played... Uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, Manhattan Project actually Ooh. lately. Yeah, and I, 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 that, that, that could very well be one of my top games of the year. I mean, depending wow. on what else, what else comes out uh, between now and, um, that's that's a that's a worker placement game that uh, that that really. <laughs> Is about you. You can just beat the hell out of each other in that game, and mm-hmm. and and you can really mess with people. Uh, that is not a game for, um, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, 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 with all the the espionage and the fact that you can actually bomb each other and things like that. I mean, it's it's you know, it it really kind of takes the whole worker placement. Uh, uh, ideas and it, it really makes it a lot very brutal. I can see a lot of people not liking that game for that reason, but for me, I really enjoyed it. Have you played um, Kalis? Uh, I have. Okay. You know, so I mean, yeah, I know Kalis, but I mean, Kalis is a very dated game now, and and it, 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 mm-hmm. I mean, it isn't any fault of it. It's just you know, it, it was an amazing game at the time. So I mean, it, it still is fun, but well, yeah, I I just want to pipe in. I agree that. Uh... Manhattan Project is definitely one of my top games of the year. And the whole, uh, you know, in Kalis, you got the Provost. You can mm-hmm. move it all the way back, and so nobody gets to do anything in that turn. <laughs> so that kind of, this, and this, this kind of adds that where it's not just worker placement, you know, kind of pansy worker placement like most of them are. And you've really got to, you know, take a little bit of a risk and plan out and go, okay, I maybe won't be able to do this now. So, you know, knowing that, what am I going to do? I really, really yeah. like that. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I really like the fact that, I mean, like, there's, there's one thing about worker placement games that I always, uh, never like. It just seems like, uh, the whole goal is really to get as many, many workers as possible. I mean, because that means more actions and, and more options available to you. In this game, you only start with the four laborers and then you slowly but surely build up, um, your scientists and your engineers. But then there's those contractors that you take, you mm-hmm. know, that you, and, and I, I love the fact that, like, you, 
the game is all very, very spatial. I mean, it's very like, you know, you can just, if, if you can hold out and just control certain spots on the board so other people can't use them, um, until you finally do your retrieve action, um, you know, I mean, I'm, if you haven't played the game, you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, but, and I apologize for that, but, uh, your workers pretty much stay where they are on the board. And, and, and block spots on the board until you take a turn. If you're familiar with a horrible game that I really dislike, uh, um, Small World, uh, the, in that game, like, you, the, you have what's called, like, I forget what it's called, you retire yourself, basically. I forget what the actual terminology is. You want to decline, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, you know, it, it isn't the same thing, perhaps, but if you play Small World, uh, basically, uh, you, in a turn that basically you, you either don't have any workers left to place on the board, or you don't want to, uh, you can uh, retrieve your workers. That means you take all your workers off the board and off your cards, and you, and you put them back into your pool that you can use. And also, if you've contracted any extra uh, workers, you, you you put them back into the general supply. So, and and that of course is a finite amount too. So you can actually like take workers and use up supply. And it's it, I mean it's it's a fantastic game. I'm working on a review of it right now. Um, that should be up fairly soon. And and yeah, it's an, um, just a really really good game. And in all honesty, um, Minion Games. I mean, uh, uh, they they have been really doing uh very well uh with with their games lately mm-hmm. um with with kingdom of solomon you mentioned that one yeah. uh venture forth and uh and uh manhattan project i mean all three of those are i mean uh, to are, are very very good very solid great games and uh i i, I just i it, it's it's weird that you know you'd come up with like three games like that that are all really uh, a lot of fun um then uh finally um i should mention that um i know you both you guys have been like gushing over mage knight and and talking about how wonderful it is and it is wonderful but i actually own a copy and you two don't which you know kind of makes me kind of makes me giggle a little bit <laughs> and I, I honestly i haven't played it for i haven't played it in like two or three weeks uh, you know, just because I was telling I was telling uh, Joel and, and and Marco that I have to hide it uh, from my gaming group when they come over because if I don't, then that's all they'll want to play, and and I have other games I want to try out and and so on and so forth. And if they if they play nice and and they're and they're good to me, then I'll I'll allow it to hit the table, and then and then we, and then we can uh, move on and try something else. Um, and then quickly the final game I've been playing that actually is probably one of the more fun games I've played lately, but it isn't very. Um, uh, I guess strategic, I guess in a way. Um, Feudality uh, by Tom Wham, uh, a, dr- a very, very uh, tenured game designer who designed one of um, uh, one of the greatest games I ever. I played a lot when I was younger, uh, Kings and Things. Um, you know, uh, designed a game that uh, is very, very tongue in cheek, very. Uh, very amusing. He does all this, all the artwork himself, and and so it's very cartoony and it's interesting. But each person, um, you 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 purchase these tiles, which are basically uh, like improvements for your little fiefdom, and you have this little uh, seven by seven grid, and then you you place these uh, these these things such as a uh, a farmer or uh, a smith or an inn or whatever, and you place them on the seven by seven grid. And on each turn, um, uh, the, the first player, they roll these two eight-sided dice. And uh, depending on what they roll, they activate that spot on your grid. And each person is kind of like bingo. You know, each has your little grid in front of you. And so then you take that spot, and then you can activate um, – if, if that 
the spot that you hit, if anything close to it or that spot, if you have it, you can activate that spot and and get the resources or get the victory points that that thing gives you. And um, it's very chaotic, and it's 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 very uh, you you can you can send your warriors off to uh, do battle with each other to try to knock each other down, and and uh, you can. Uh, Things like dragons and, and and giants and things will will show up and and ravage people's uh, countrysides and and um it's it's one of those games where your your score keeps going up and down all, throughout the game as you uh slowly but surely inexorably move towards the victory point line but it's very it, it it's it's a dice rolling game it's it's very chaotic and it, but it's just fun kind of building your little little fiefdom and and uh it's very amusing. Cool. So your copy of Mage Knight is a little underused, we could say. <laughs> um, it sounds like well, it's no. being neglected, to be honest with you. Well, it sounds I mean, a pretty sad situation that somehow should be rectified. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, I, I, here, I, I'm, I'm rubbing it on my face right now. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean no. I mean it's it's a great game. Mage Knight is. It's an excellent game. And, and but I, like I said, I, I I if if I didn't hide it, it'd be all I'd be playing because my my group wouldn't let me play anything else. And um, I mean it's one of those weird things where it's like my point is really that whether you have it or not, the house doesn't really matter much, right? So <laughs> I'm just wondering if that. Well, no, no, I guess household. <laughs> I guess you'd be right there, but I, 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 Mage Knight is is um I, I mean I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised it's as good as it is because I remember when um when the whole Mage Knight thing kind of came out first and the whole tactical battle and all the miniatures and everything like that I had a couple of friends who were really big into it and they were getting tons of those miniatures and and uh, and I played it a few times and it was fun I guess but I, I it didn't consume me like it it did them. So I don't know if so. I mean, when I, when they said, "Oh, Mage Knight, the board game," I was I was very, eh, you know, like, you know, as far as my interest, mm-hmm. and and then and then so, but then you know, the initial buzz kind of you know started hitting, and I was just like, and of course, I'll be completely honest. When I heard it's just like, "Oh, this thing's sold out at the, at the publisher level." So if you want a copy of it or get it, I was like, well, you know, it's one thing if. You know, 500 people are saying it's really great, but if like you know the full print run of 5,000 games, whatever, is like sold out, yeah, there's probably something to it. And so then I, I I got a game, I purchased a copy, and and yeah, I was I was proven wrong. It's it's an amazing game, but um, that kind of segues a little bit into what we were going to talk about today, it which does. which was uh, what makes a game good and what makes a game so good that it will continue hitting your table. You know, a month from now, or continue hitting a table. Um, you know, six months from now, or a year from now. I mean, what makes a game uh, so good that um, you'll you'll keep it in your collection, and uh, and even if you're only playing it maybe three or four times a year, you won't ever consider even getting rid of it because you want it that three or four times a year. Or maybe you want to hit your table twenty times a year, and you'll never get rid of it. You know, when when we have a situation where it seems like. A lot of times in war games or in, you know, Euros or even uh, Ameritrash games or thematic games, you know, uh, you know, you just say, oh, that was fun, but it's a lot like this. So I don't really see why I have this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I mean, do you guys have a game that like, like what's a game that you will never, ever get rid of? You'll, 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 it'll never, it'll never leave your collection just because even if you, even if you haven't played it in six months, you'll never, it'll never leave your collection because you want the option to play it. Well, even though, uh, this particular copy of Mage Knight that I'm looking at at this instant is not mine, 
I'm not going to give it back to my friend. I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> but that's not really fragile because you've only had the game for what, like three, four weeks or whatever. I mean, uh, can you honestly say that you don't think you'll ever get rid of it? I mean, it's oh. just like, well, this game, I yeah, you know, this is a good question. That's probably too early to tell with this game. The thing that it has going for it is, you know, you got different scenarios. Um, there's a lot of different variants that you can do to sort of spice up, uh, you know, the game. You can draft your cards at the beginning. You can kind of change how you lay out the tiles. You can build, uh, you know, some of the scenarios are conquest scenarios. Where you have to kill the cities. And so you could do like a double megalopolis scenario where you basically have to fight two cities at once, which is just a giant, probably impossible thing to do. So it's oh, got. I should try that. That sounds. Yeah. You know what? I'll do, I'll play that tomorrow with my copy that I own, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so it's got all that going for it, and it's probably easily expandable. I would assume. You know, new characters and new tiles and new spells and. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But a game that I have and I've had for a long time—that's probably my f- favorite game that I've had for a long time—would probably be Kalis. And the reason that I like it. And we'll the guy keep... on the cover? Yeah. I have the original <laughs> copy, actually. I don't have the the king. I have the other guy that's, like, looking up at a, a spreadsheet of the layout of the city that he's building. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, I just... Anyway, but uh, that one it has some sentimental value, and I think that's why I'll keep it, because, uh, you know, my game group that I used to play it with, it, this was, like, the first game that I bought and brought to the to the group, uh, there, we had another guy that was sort of the, you know, not the alpha gamer, because that's kind of derogatory, I think, but uh, he had all the games. And so he always was playing, you know, we'd play uh, Princess of Florence, and which I didn't like really, and Puerto Rico, which I didn't like, like really. And we played a lot of other games I did like, like Samurai and Tigers and Euphrates and all kinds of cool, you know, like Euro games from, from around that time. And I saw, you know, Kalis, Kalis is coming out, you know, and I looked on Board Game Geek and I think it was like almost number one. And I read about it and I read detailed reviews of all the mechanics. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get it. I'm going to bring it. And then we're going to play it. We're all going to learn it. And so we did. And we all really liked it. I think the first game we played, it, we didn't really like it, but we were like, OK, because it was totally new with the worker placement thing back then. Um and I, so I think there's kind of two things going for it that has kept it in my collection is that I have that sentimental attachment that, you know, okay, I brought this game and we, you know, we played that like twice a night sometimes. And, and I don't know that I would do that now just because it's kind of a brain burner and it takes a couple hours usually depending on the number of players. But back then we were so into it that we'd play it and we're like, oh, let's play it again. And I just don't usually do that anymore at all with any kind of heavier game. So it's got that sentimental value, and it was the whole like discovery of this new mechanic and this new new way of playing the game, the whole worker placement thing, you know, and, and blocking people and using the provost to, to jack the people out of actions and screw people over and negotiate about that. And so it's 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 a great it's a great game anyway. I think you know it's always in the top twenty on on the geek, and and there's there's plenty of people you can find to play it with and have a good time. It is kind of brutal and sort of, you know, you kind of feel like you're being strangled sometimes when you play it. But, um, but yeah, that's, you know, for those reasons, the sentimental value and the whole kind of memory of sort of, you know, broadening my gaming horizons and things like that. That's, that's the reason I probably keep, you know, if I had to single out a game, it would be that game. Okay. How often do you play it though, Joel? Uh, let's see. I've played it, played it the other day. 
but it was online, so that was horrible. But uh, okay, uh, well, how often do you do you play the copy that you own? Let's put it that way. Uh, it's been a couple of months, probably just a handful of times a year, maybe two, three times a year now. But I've played okay. it so much, it's just, you know, it's a game that I keep that I can maybe break out with new groups of people if I run into them or something, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, I mean, but and the thing I was going to ask you was, uh, it's obvious you, you, you really enjoy the game, yeah. but, I mean, aren't there other games, in your opinion, that, that take the worker placement uh, mechanic and, and, and do it better, that you enjoy more than that? Better? Mm, I would say probably, I'm trying to think. Uh, I like it better than Agricola, so no. I, you know what? I, <laughs> we, we mentioned Manhattan Project. And to me, that really is the 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 true sort of heir apparent to Kalis for me personally, because you got like Stone Age and Kingsburg and I don't know. I'm trying to think of other worker placements, and I like the I really I actually really like Stone Age, but it's just too it's too light, you know. It's just you know you go and get the cards and you do this and that, and it's fun. I still I like to play it, and that's another game that I would probably throw in the same category. Uh, you know, because my wife will actually play that with me. So, um, but yeah, as far as something that I think is better than Kalis, that's a worker placement game. See, I haven't played Dominant Species, but um, I've heard that's good. Uh, I don't think so. But Manhattan Project maybe you know will would kind of replace that for me, just because it's got that Scrooge factor, that real interactive in your face factor that no other worker placement really has, other than okay, I'm blocking your space, but. Beyond that, there's no interactivity. Marco, I mean, what about what about you? And I know this might not be kind of a fair question. I mean, because when we were talking about this this subject, you you mentioned that you know war games they they have a lot of replayability because of the fact that there's tons of scenarios and there's there's always it seems to be like an expansion pack with more units or or like a a new map or mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, does it really compare? I mean, is is there a war game that you you think that you could play? You know, forever. Well, uh, there are at least two games that come to mind, and they're completely different in nature. One because it is a solitaire game, and then one because it is one of the very few games that is absolutely impossible war games that I know of to, to, to play in solitaire. It is absolutely impossible to play by oneself. And I'm going to talk about this game first, Rommel in the Desert. Rommel in the Desert by Columbia Block Games. Actually, the game has several scenarios, but not many, not compared to other games that can have, you know, 15, 20 scenarios. And it is about uh, different phases of the North African campaign in World War II. And it also has sentimental value. It is a game that I played fairly early in my work gaming explorations. And as I read the rulebook, well, it was more complex than other Columbia Block games. I think it is probably, together with Eurofront, it is the most complex game uh, in the family, at least from from that publisher. Uh, And I know that when I taught it uh, to some people, some people have, a problem grasping a couple of concepts that are not immediate or not very common. There is a particular move called the regroup move, and every time I know that people are going to stumble when I teach that rule. Uh, so it was a, a different level, sort of like the first, uh, not just basic game, not super advanced, but you know, another level. I felt that I was playing a meteor war game. 
And then when I started playing it in terms of gameplay, it just started opening abysmal levels of depth one after the other. This is a game that uh, captures so well so many things about uh, the North African campaign, in particular supply lines. Um, first time that I play with somebody, usually they play it as if it's just a game about you know the Eastern Front. They put together a large group of units. They attack you frontally. You just send the small groups around them. You cut the supply lines. They get stuck in the water. And painfully, they realize that you're going to have the largest army that you want in the world. But if there's no fuel in their in their tanks and no fuels in their truck into the middle of the desert, that's it. That's going to spell doom for them. So you have to start thinking in terms of you know, what that, that campaign, that terrain uh, would force you to deal with. And it is just a game that is so full of subtleties, and the best thing is really the huge, immense, enormous uh, bluffing component. You have the entire war game thing, yes, you have movement, you have attacks, you have battles that can go on for months and months. The game is divided in months, and each month has a different, may have a different length, depending on how many turns people want to play. But the really cool thing is that what you can do is based on supply cards that are given to you randomly turn after turn. Some cards will give you a supply point, and some cards will give you none. And the opponent has no idea what is in your hand. You haven't played for a month or two, meaning you're in the game. Uh, you haven't moved anybody. <laughs> you haven't moved for a month or gameplay. Uh, you haven't moved anybody. You haven't done anything for four months. You have a large hand of 20 cards. And you're looking kind of like mean and, you know, we sort of like smiling on your face like, <laughs> but the opponent is, is worried about that. In reality, you are soiling your underwear because you're hoping that the opponent doesn't call your bluff because you have absolutely nothing. There will be times in which you have a small hand of cards, but that is packed with... Um, packed with supplies and then you can execute blitz attacks you can execute surrounding moves you can do incredible things this is really a game that is as much about you know dealing with wargaming aspects as is about reading the opponent and again this captures very well the problem that especially um, Rommel had about the supplies that had to be shipped to the Mediterranean and the Italians were in charge of that and were completely disasters of course um, and so Rommel couldn't really count on a decent level of supplies or on a steady amount of steady um, arrival of supplies and the game really gives you this and what I really love is precisely this the fact that no two games will be the same uh, because you have several scenarios but in each scenario one time you may have a huge uh, potential fraction at the beginning and you squander that you launch a powerful attack and then you find yourself stuck in battles in the middle of the desert and then for months and months you're just desperately hoping to get something that will allow you to do something and you do not receive that and you have to look like you're particularly powerful and you're just planning something mischievous. It has such a huge bluffing component that goes together with the gaming components. Uh, again, it makes the game super exciting and super fun, but just each time will be so different just because the different levels of uh, different moments in which you may or may not receive supplies will allow you to do different things and different tricky things that you can try from time to time. I love it because it is really a game about being the fox of the desert. You have to outfox the opponent. And I haven't played it in a year, I believe, but just talking about it, of course, now I feel like huge to playing it. I think I'll go online and look if somebody's available to play a Vassal game later tonight. Um, uh, 
even if I haven't played in a long time, I just cannot see myself getting rid of the option of cracking my copy open and, you know, having it hit the table and, and get it on the table and playing it. just can't see myself without that option. Let me ask you a question about that, though, Marco. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that your love for that game would um, be less if it wasn't for such a dynamic figure that uh, Rommel was? I mean, do you think that adds to it? Because, I mean, obviously, if you talk to, you know, World War II mm-hmm. buffs, I mean, it's just like... Um, Rommel is obviously a was was a fantastic tactician, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you know and people love uh, to discuss his abilities and his mindset and so on and so forth. I mean, do you think that adds to the fact of, of why you 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 enjoy that game so much? Uh, I think it does. Uh, in a certain way, it's like to say, oh, without Lord of the Rings, we wouldn't have fantasy, so you know, fantasy games wouldn't be the same. Uh, I mean, precisely because of that mindset that he had, precisely because it's so fascinating historically, then games that are inspired by him thematically, and games such as this one that not only uh, present you with the theme, but that captured the essence of the decisions, the essence of the relevance of what was done, the depreciation, uh, things that he did, then those games are possibly pre- possible precisely because we had him historically. So yes, I think that um, he, has give, he gives us great games because he himself is such an interesting uh, topic historically, precisely because of what he did. And again, it's incredible uh, performance during this campaign. So, Marco, yes, yeah. you kept uh, you kept going back to the whole sort of bluffing issue and mm-hmm. trying to appear like you aren't, and I thought that was interesting because a game that has a, a real heavy meta game on top of it, like you know, just the game beyond the game of mm-hmm. just actually physically playing, that seems to me like that's that's probably a good uh, a characteristic of a game that you you know you'd want to play forever and ever and ever and ever. Absolutely, it's got Absolutely. that you know the whole the yeah, whole you... mind game. And you, like I said, you played the same game with a different opponent. Right. Uh, you may have the same units on the board in the same position. And throughout the game, you do not know where you stand or what you learned in previous games can really, can, 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 you know, can help you very little because you have to start figuring out the opponent again from scratch and you have to start trying to figure out what the opponent can do. What you see on the board really is a fraction of what the game is about. And yes, the rules are more complex than many other Columbia block games, you know, more complex than Julius Caesar. But when you realize what those rules achieve, then you realize that overall they're definitely elegant. They're even economic. So just a game that I cannot recommend enough, really. Well, good. Yeah, a game that reminds me of that... Uh, is a few acres of snow. Um, I know that you know there's some debate about it being broken or whatnot, but if you play, <laughs> play it, debate. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I don't want to. I, I haven't heard any of any of this. Please, please yeah, discuss right. it. Please go on for a few, several thousand hours. No, I won't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what have you been doing in your cave down there, painting <laughs> walls on the cave of the cave with like hunting scenes? Yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, yeah that, that, that's the kind of game, uh, you know, barring the, you know, playing against somebody that knows that particular strategy down pat, you can play it with anybody. And it's surprised to me. I play I still, I still play that quite a bit. I play that um, on Yucatan at least twice a week. Um, and uh, even against the same opponent, uh, I have a guy that I play with all the time. And we'll both try, you know, different strategies. We'll go, both try to get Indians and do lots of raiding or trying to play the turtle approach or 
or maybe one of us will try the Halifax hammer, which is the supposedly broken strategy, but neither one of us has ever read exactly how to do it. We'll just kind of go, okay, we'll settle Halifax and attack. And uh, usually it doesn't work because none of us know how to do it exactly right. But uh, it's, that's a game where you get that sort of higher level aspect. You can see which cards they're drafting and which cards they're buying and putting in their deck. So you mm-hmm. go, okay, he must be taking this approach. And so I've got to react accordingly. So that's it. Just it, it, that's the game I thought of when you were talking about all that. Even if I've been playing it so for so long, and you're even aware that there is a way in which, according to some people, the game can be broken. Right. And you haven't broken it, and you're enjoying it twice right. a week. Right. Uh, isn't that evidence enough that the game doesn't have to be broken? That's well, I think it is broken because um, I don't want to call anybody's name out, but there's a guy that is adamant that it's broken, and he's correct. I've actually played against him online, and mm-hmm. and he uses the he he goes online and and and, and plays not 100 percent, but he plays that strategy all the time. And I played him once, and you know he was going to use that strategy, so I said, let me try it this way. And so I was ahead like 47 to 18 at one point, mm-hmm. and then uh, I don't want to get the details of the game. And then he ended up winning the game, but not through that strategy. And I think the game went 57 turns. I've got it. You can save your games on Yucatan. So I've walked back through that game several Mm -hmm. times, turn by turn, seeing where I failed and where I may or may not have won. I don't necessarily think I, if I would have done something different, I would have won. I think it would have been a slightly closer game. But he didn't uh, settle Quebec, which is what the end result of that strategy is, is to settle Quebec and instantly win. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've read enough about it, and I know a little bit enough of the game. I haven't read exactly the steps to the strategy. Because I don't want to, um, because that'll ruin the game for me. So maybe that's a cop out, but that's you. That's that sounds like a, a you problem <laughs> if you think it's a cop out. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but uh, there's still tons and tons of replayability there. But uh, sorry to get into the discussion of the brokenness. No, and I and I and I agree with you. And I agree with you. I also am aware that the game is broken, or that some people it is. But I've also played many times, and again, even knowing more or less, yes, you can work your way around to attack it back and I've also tried to do it without knowing all the passages of the so-called strategy and also I failed to do it and I managed to win precisely by then diverting my strategy somewhere else. Uh, this is a game that you can play a million times if you want to go there, study that strategy, uh, execute it you know, step by step, then you will not have fun playing the game, but so what? It's like, you know, there are video games that come with you know, the secret wars that you can use so you win the game immediately. Well, does it mean that you should never play the game, or that if you play the game, the video game normally, you know, going through the steps, you're stupid, you're just, you know, blind, full, you know, willfully blind? It just means that the game has both options. You can play, you know, cheating or and, and not having fun just to see what it what happens at the end, or you can go through the steps and have fun. So to me, that's the analogy that allows me to rationalize. Yes, why well, I also think that you can have a million good plays with a few acres of snow, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're aware that there is an option of breaking it. But do you have to break it? Are you stupid if you don't? I, I don't think so. Well, I think just to quickly, um, just to wrap that up a little bit, and then we'll let Lance talk about his stuff. But um, <clears throat> I think with the thing with a few acres of snow, because I think it's important uh, that, you know, we don't like let designers off the hook, I guess. I mean, in general. But I think the thing is, is if you take out that broken thing of Fiorca's of snow, and just remove that small piece, and there's a you can argue about the degree and severity of how broken it is. But if you take that out, the game is amazing. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. I think. Whereas mm-hmm. there may be some other games that are are visibly and obviously broken, 
but there's not a whole lot to it after that fact. So I think that's what kind of saves the few acres of snow is mm-hmm. the game is great, barring that, that issue. So anyway. Oh, yeah, there are games like that that are broken, and if you fix that, it's the suck. So, <laughs> right. <absolutely>. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. Before, before we move on, actually, I was going to mention something where you were talking about solving the game and um and and i understand that there are, are gamers out there that um uh enjoy games uh to they like looking at the game and looking at the mechanism and and looking at uh you know how certain strategies will work and 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 what is the best strategy to take in, in certain situations and, and so on and so forth. And, and I kind of, I kind of go against the grain on that because, you know, I get good at games that I play just by playing them. Um, I, I, you know, I play them over and over again. I, I, I get a good feel for it. Um, a game, uh, that I could mention like that would be, um, uh, Pillars of the Earth, uh, which, uh, is, is a fantastic game. Um, uh, it came out, oof, I'm guessing 2007. I don't know. I, I suppose I can look it up and tell you, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's worker placement. It's, it's, it's resource collection. It's very, um, it's very dry, you know. I mean, if you've read the the the, the books that it's based upon, it's it, it's you know you you could maybe get a little more out of it than than. But for the most part, it's it's just about choosing the best possible option each and every turn. Nobody gets behated in the first couple of pages of the rule book, like 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 in a novel. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, unfortunately, that does not happen. Yeah. But, um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the miniseries they actually did for it was fantastic. But, um, moving without, uh, without, uh, diversing or diverging too much, um, it's a game that, like, but I've had people tell me, like, uh, I've, I've played it at conventions and, um, invariably I, I, I just get destroyed. And, um, and a lot of people, one, um, people tell me that uh, I don't play the game right, you know, because of, oh, well, you know, on turn whatever, mm. you should have done this, or turn this, you should have done that. And, like, in retrospect, I kind of think, oh, maybe I should have. And and two, um, those same people are the ones that, that say that um, Pillars of the Earth had a problem. I guess I shouldn't say a problem, but um, had a had a situation where um, – uh, they, they came with an expansion for it, and 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 really the expansion kind of makes the game a lot better, and you, and most people won't play the game without the expansion, but the expansion actually adds a more uh, random element. Uh, it fixes. There's there's a very random element as far as which person gets to do because you draw the people's pawns out of a bag. If you're familiar with the game, you know what I'm talking about, and that determines who gets to go and who gets to act. And unfortunately, what happens is, is that's completely random, obviously, because you can't see what's in there and you're pulling those out. And uh, but uh, the expansion kind of mediates that a little bit, and that's what people really like that. And and so these the same people that are are uh, are upset about that game. They they talk about the fact that um, you know without that, I mean, they they don't like that random aspect. And and I think uh, that's why you you talk to these people that that that, that play these uh, zero sum games that are just uh, um, the eighteen xxers, and and they and they talk about they don't want any any kind of uh, change in the game they want they want to play the game until it's solved mm-hmm. and 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 it's just mm-hmm. and i don't get that i don't i don't understand that i mean i i guess ultimately i want there to be something in the game that even if you are 
a hundred times better at the game than me, and you're going to beat me a hundred times out of out of you know ninety nine times out of hundred. I want those dice. I want that random card. I want the chance that um, just even your best laid plans will get screwed up. And I, I, I don't like solving games. I, I, I kind of, when I did my review of Arkham Horror, which is a game that I will keep forever, you know, it's a game that will constantly hit the table. And like you said, it's a, it's the game that got me into the hobby. So it's, it's, you know, I have kind of a, a romantic ideal of the game, even though it has its flaws and issues. But, um, I've read, you know, I've read strategy articles and they, they, they say, oh, if you want to win Arkham Horror, you play with this many people. And you, you, you have one person go and sit at the newspaper because they can make tons of money at the newspaper and they just constantly encounter that space. And then as they make money, you send other people to go to him and he hands the money to the other people and then they take the money and they go to the mystic shop and they just burn through the unique item deck or whatever until they get all the, 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 the seals, the, the, you know, that, that seal, immediately seal the gates or whatever and they get to remove doom tokens or whatever. And you just, and that's how you do it. And, but by all means, whatever you do, make sure you close a gate at these three locations because these are the most dangerous locations that, you know, and it's just, and I don't like that. I don't. I don't like turning a game into nuts and bolts. You know, I I, I want the game to be an experience that I enjoy. And uh, maybe I. And I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy a game like that. I mean, if that's what you like, by all means, you know, play the game like that. But I just at that point, you're just you're taking the life, you know, uh, out of the board game. And it, and and that's why people in my opinion would get bored of a game. I mean, I ended up getting rid of um Walnut Grove just recently after I played it a few times, basically because I didn't like the fact that um the discs that are used is you know, there's the, there's a certain number of those and that's I, mean, I mentioned that in the other podcast and that's all there is. Mm-hmm. And so like when the random events, the you know, quote unquote random events, there's only eight discs to memorize. And so I was playing with these people that are very, very smart than my friends, and they were like, Well, I know the next one that's coming up has to be this. You know, it's just like, well, now the game's kinda of ruined for me at that point. Yeah. I think there's a fine line there between sort of the game as the experience and the engagement with, uh, you know, your your imaginative side of the brain, which is more, I think, what a role-playing game is probably like. But then you've got your role players that are like your min-maxers, you know. They're all about the number crunching, and they're all about the stats and everything. And so I think that's really a fine line. And, you know, it's for different types of people, like, like you're saying. So I think it's – I'm the type of guy that – I like the strategic games, you know, the Euro games and that kind of stuff, probably more than the thematic or whatever. But see, the randomness is okay for me because I like the uh, the randomness and like you're saying, like you, there's it's not like chess, you know, there's no randomness. But even if with randomness, I think games are still technically solvable because you can you you may not be guaranteed of the outcome, but you're guaranteed of whatever the best move is. And so even if a game has randomness, you're still it can still be solvable and still lose its luster and its fun uh, in a certain way. And I mean, probably not as easily as a game that's purely dry and totally not random. But I, I do well, get what you're saying for sure. Well, a perfect example of that, and I, and I, and I'll let somebody else talk here, is is that um, every uh, every year I um, I have uh, a 
I, twice a year, I have I have a giant get together at my house, and I invite uh, everybody basically that I know uh, to come and, uh, and and play board games at my house all weekend. And and thankfully, my wife is kind enough to put up with it, and and we and I just we play board games for two and a half, three days straight. And if you ever guys want to come up, I'll I'll make sure that you can uh, play with me. But uh, um, the the thing is, is that uh, the one game. The the one game that I can never get rid of because all people and these are not like hardcore board gamers. These are people that basically wait for this weekend to happen and then they they come over and that's their weekend of playing board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can't get rid of Kingsburg. Uh, these people cannot get enough of Kingsburg. And and the thing is, I haven't played Kingsburg. If I didn't if if I didn't have those get-togethers, I wouldn't play it. It's not that Kingsburg is a bad game. I just don't enjoy it anymore. It's, it's, but I, there's something about rolling those dice. There's something about um, those people making those choices uh, of, of, of picking the people on the board, uh, collecting those resources. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know why. But there's like this contingent of like four or five of my friends that are not hardcore gamers that they just can't get enough of that game and they and they just love it to pieces and i don't i, I guess i just don't really understand it do you not play with them when they come over do you, they just I, go in the corner and play by themselves <laughs> I'll, I'll play i'll play like once you know yeah. but that's that's the only game they'll play i mean they'll they'll literally play it six times mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll come over a friday afternoon they'll play it like twice or three or four times you know we'll stop and we eat and we, we socialize and then they come back on Saturday and they just play that right. and it's just it, it, occasionally maybe we can get them to play a game of Battlestar Galactica or something like that we can get them to do something else but that is the one game that they, they look forward to they're like where's Kingsburg where is it where is it you know and they just they grab it and they and I'm like well I have the expansion it changes some things that actually no 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 we don't want that we don't want that we just want Kingsburg you know yeah. alright you know go for it you know and I don't understand it, but different different games, different people, I guess. Uh, well, between the two categories of game without randomness and the freaking sold them and game without randomness that you can well, optimize your your odds, uh, another category may be the game again, the, the games with a large bluffing slash mind reading component. And I'm thinking of a game that came out last year. Uh, I was really lucky to learn it from the designer. Actually, was around Indiana and it came down here to Bloomington to teach me the game. And we played it also with some other friends. That was a great event. And the game is Engage, a very abstract World War II uh, war game uh, with no random element. The players have a certain amount of points, of resource points that are a huge abstraction. They abstract a lot of things from fuel, from ammo, from command. And you commit secretly a certain amount each turn to execute certain actions. And so you have no randomness whatsoever because the action that you uh, that you execute interacting with the actions of the opponent will tell you exactly what happens on the board, will tell you what units win, what units lose, what units are destroyed, and how many resources you receive or you lose because of that. So there's also the, if you could go back and trace all your steps, the game would be exactly the same. But again, not knowing what the opponent is going to do simply changes everything. It gives enough uh, variety of possible outcomes that it is a game that is absolutely impossible, I think, to solve. Again, you can maximize your, your odds. Of course, you can uh, come up with strategies. It is not random. 
But I think it is really remarkable that, yes, you change your opponent and you find yourself having to explore the options of the game to start with. And, you know, sometimes you have a person that doesn't know how to play. That's the most idiotic move in the world. So you destroy a couple of his units, but you spend so much so because you thought that the opponent was going to spend a lot of resources in order to overcome that. Then you find yourself screwed later because of the effects of that. Uh, so it is, I think it is a pretty remarkable game that does manage to have a lot of unpredictability uh, to give you also the different situations without them, technically speaking, having a single die to be rolled in the entire game. So I think that is somewhat of a, of a third way, you know. And if I'm not going too long, I wanted to add something that, you know, I like historical games. I don't know if you haven't noticed, you know, I like war games that have to deal with historical events. And I think it's it's funny how one of the big debate some of our gamers is that ah this game doesn't have enough randomness you know because in the battlefield you do not have complete absolute control like you have in a game of chess all sort of things may happen at all different levels from the you know from the battlefield at the tactical level at the strategic level and so this is why you know you have all these mechanics like the card driven before acres of snow simulates precisely this that you not know exactly when your resources are going to come in other games uh, you know for the people for example uh, in which the events uh, that come from the deck represent the political events around the military aspect and you do not know exactly what's going to happen or the events that would affect the military in certain ways um the chit pull mechanic um I, I was wondering, I, did, I don't know, I was wondering if there are Euro games that use a similar thing, you know, the chit pool, when you have groups of units uh, that are indicated by a certain, for example, divisions uh, indicated by a certain uh, chit that is placed in an opaque cup, you draw randomly and you do not, and that will tell you what units will move next. So it's not like I move all of my units and then you move yours, but sometimes I move two of my divisions and then you move one, then I move one again, then you move three all of a sudden. So it is a very interesting uh, back and forth. The ebbs and flows of the battle are very well represented and it's about grabbing opportunity rather than, again, playing, planning a long-term chess-like strategy, and, and, and that works very well. And then, uh, a game that I wanted to mention, because this is a game that I haven't played in a while, but again, I cannot see myself um, getting without uh, getting rid of the option of playing it, is a game by Lock and Load. It is called Course Com- Core Command Tot and Sun. Core Command is the name of the series. It only has two games out so far. The first one is this one, a small game, Tot and Sontag, and there's another game, Dawn's Early Light, which I like a little less. Uh, Totten Sontag is about the coincidence the North African campaign again. It is a game with one scenario and very strict um, series of reinforcements, very strict uh, turn sequence, you know, play the units will get in the game from that hex in that turn and that's it. And it is one of the games with the hugest replay value that I've seen. it's a small game, small units, it's completely counterintuitive. Uh, it has this very unique system of um, activation for movement, and I, I apologize if the digression, digression will sound a little abstract. Basically, units, instead of having a movement point, have an activation number that goes from 2, I believe, to 5. Uh, before you can move in your turn, you really die. And you can activate all units that have an activation number, which is equal to or higher than that. For example, I roll a 5, then only my units that have a 5 or 6 can move, so only a few units can move. If I roll a 2, pretty much everybody can move because pretty much everybody is 2 or higher. 
the coolest thing is that then when you move your units, the number of, of movement points that you receive is the same that was rolled, is the same number. So if I roll a five, only very few units can move, only those that have a very high number in activation, but they can move by five axes or they receive five movement points. If I roll a two, then pretty much everybody can move, but only by two movement points. Again, did it sound too abstract? I don't know if I made myself clear. No, it sounds like a Euro game, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it the is, exact same thing. It is, well, it, it has a certain cleanness, that's for sure. But after again, people often sometimes complain, like, how oh, is it possible I place my units right in front of the enemies and then they cannot attack? How stupid it is. We're just sitting down and, you know, eating a snack in the desert. And I was like, well, maybe they run out of fuel right before. Or maybe they run out of ammo right before attacking. Or maybe the command, the order... Uh, of attacking was lost. All these things, you know, happen in real life. And because of the system that you do not know exactly what, what units are you going to be able to activate and how far they can move, uh, the game just comes out uh, creating such a huge variety of situations. Um, it's a small game. Mm. Very simple to learn, very simple to play. It could be a perfect you know, entryway game. Well, you say that it sounds like a Euro game, so mm -hmm. go ahead, Euro gamers, and give it a try. I think you may enjoy it. It is just a game that, so small as it is, I have been enjoyed immensely, played it countless times. Uh, again, even if I haven't played in a while, I think that's just the perfect game. If you have two hours to play, it's just a great, great game. And... Again, uh, it's a game that I've explored a million times. I've played it a million times. There's this huge random factor in a way, but again, uh, it's a random factor that somehow makes sense thematically. It's again that randomness. Like the game is like, ah, now I feel that I am experiencing something that has the richness, complexity, and unpredictability of real life, rather than just a complete, just mathematical, geometric abstraction. Uh, uh, I, I think that you based on on history. I think you touched on something and a couple things actually, and that, that made me pause and think. Uh, you mentioned that um, you know it, it, telling a story, uh, you know, and and uh, and I think I think that you know is is needed. You know, I mean, it, it, a completely abstract game, I, you know, and I I don't enjoy uh, a completely abstract games. I, I I you know I can't I can't play them. I know there's lots of people out there that can and. And enjoy just having uh, a board in front of them with some either cubes or, or little little marbles or whatever, and they can move those. And and you know, I mean, I'm the I'm the kid who, when I was young, I, I couldn't play Chinese checkers more than for five minutes before I was just so bored. I was just like, well, how can anybody find this fun? You know, I just I just didn't enjoy that. And and uh, you know, things like that. And but it, but if you have a game that actually and even a, a good euro that that even with a pasted on theme if 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 you can buy into the theme um i'll find myself sitting at a table with my friends and 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 people are making anecdotes you know and they're and they're and they're joking with each other and and they're acting out what what's going on in in the board uh, on the board itself and when we were playing manhattan uh project we we didn't play it with the nations expansion we so um a friend of mine had started um you know he was 
using uh, he was using the espionage uh, on that game a lot, and and so he he became and his name is Craig, so he became uh, the spies of Kragistan, you know. So everybody's like, you know, you you start saying those stories, you know, and he started speaking in a thick Russian accent constantly, and and sending out his spies to to use up our our, our areas and stuff like that. And it's just like that's the kind of thing that that makes when when a game can kind of transport you from and take you away from just sitting there and thinking, okay, I need, you know, three yellow cubes and then I need an engineer and then I need a scientist. If it can take you away from that, that drudgery and it can elevate itself to, you know, actually like making you live the game for, for lack of a better term. And that's what gets it to come back to my table. I mean, it it makes the game fun and then when you think about the game, you think about those stories and those jokes and the, the, mm-hmm. the, that good time you had, and that makes you go, God, I, I got to play that game again because that was a blast. I, ha- I had a really great time. And it had nothing to do with, with the gameplay, so to speak. I mean, obviously it did because the game wasn't enjoyable. You would you know, be annoyed and, and, and you wouldn't have any fun while you played it. But you know, it, it, it's the, the memory of the people that you're playing with or, or, or the if you're playing a solo game, a solo war game, it's like you, like you referenced – you know, sitting there and actually like, you know, you, I've heard you say this in an earlier podcast where you like you said you could almost feel, you know, the rumbling of the engines or you could you could, you know, hear, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the aspects of the combat. Yeah. And yeah. It's Black so Cross it, Blue Sky. Black Cross Blue Sky is the game that does that. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, and that's that's and how cool is that? I mean, just I mean, that's that's, that's the stuff that yeah, yeah, it's the stuff that makes gaming uh, amazing. And that's what makes things you know, you come back to them. And then you mentioned also the whole, the game and, and Joel and both you guys did this, the game beyond the game. And, and, uh, and, and that's the whole, uh, the, the people part, you know, the, the, the bluffing and, and the exerting your will. And, and if I started talking about Battlestar Galactica, we talk about that constantly. So I'm not going to mention that game again, but a game like, uh, a game that has that, I shouldn't say like it, but a game that has, uh, um, a, a, a it's the people. It's the bluffing. It's the negotiation. Um, it's it's the discussion um, that I that I will never get rid of, and I play it several times every year. And I love the game. Is Fury of Dracula. Now I know there's a lot of people that say the original Games Workshop or whatever version. I know it wasn't that. It was something else. Avalon Hill or I don't know who who did it first. But um, I have the Fantasy Flight Games version of it, and that game is. Um, you know, it, it's a Scotland Yard type game. You're one person's Dracula, and they're racing around uh, uh, Europe and trying to uh, basically survive long enough to increase his undead horde so he can uh, take over Europe or take over the world or whatever, just basically live. And the other people uh, play the investigators that are trying to track him down and, and, and take him out. And... There's nothing more nail biting uh, for both sides, you know. Uh, as 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 Dracula, you you know exactly where you are, and these people are slowly, you know, pinching you into a spot on the board, and you're trying to just totally play it cool, like, oh, you fools, you're nowhere near me, and you're just like, oh, please, you know, give me a way to get out of here, you know. You just got to keep your cool. And on the same regard, like, you know, if you're on the other side, you have to sit there and you you have these personalities that you're conflicting with the other people. It's like, well, he could be over here. Well, he could be over there. Well, you take this card and you do this. And, and, and that, that game, cause it is a deeply thematic game. It, it, it tells a story and like, it, it, usually win or lose, you know, like you just had a blast playing it. And I think 
and I, I'm not saying that just because it has only a game that's thematic or Ameritrash can do that. Obviously, there are other uh, games that, that that you know that are more Euro style that will also uh, you know bring that same sort of you know, feel to the table. And, and there's, there's just, and I, I hate to say it, but there's just way too many games out there now that, um, I get and I play them and I, and I say this, it's like, Oh, that was fun. And, and, and in the back of my head, I was like, and I'm never going to play it again, you know, just because, uh, there's so many other games that have done what they've done. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just, it, it don't, they don't bring anything new. They don't bring anything exciting. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. They might take, um, you know, the, you know, like a card drafting mechanic from this game and combine it with the worker placement from this game and add in the resource collection of this game and they put it together and put this theme on it and it's very presentable and the rules work really well and it's fun to play. But when you get done, you just kind of, you know, smack your hands and just say, ah, oh, what's next? You know, just because... And, and do you think it's maybe because we've there's too much out there now? I mean, is, is there a glut of 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 games? I mean, I'd hate to be a game designer right now. I mean, you'd, you'd be constantly pressured to like come up with something new and and and, and exciting. No, I don't. I think uh, I think the trick with that is is there's a fine line between the guy that's you know the competitive gamer that that is is out to win and that's their purpose for the game. And then there's the other person that is is it you know there's a fine line between somebody that's doing it for for fun and then doing it to win and doing it to solve the mechanisms and doing it, things like that. Now I think maybe yourself, my, myself, Marco, and maybe other reviewers and maybe other people that are on board game geek all day, they are really after the whole new mechanism, the new theme with the new mechanism, you know, whatever the next new thing is. But it's an interesting time, to say the least, because we've got so many games, and people are going to get into games for different reasons, you know. Uh, you know may, somebody may see Manhattan Project, and they may go, oh, that's cool, you're building a nuclear bomb. And they'll just buy the game just for that, you know. They know that the, me- the mechanisms are probably pretty solid, let's say, or they may not even know that. But they go, well, that is, I've never seen a game like that where you're trying to build a nuke, you know. <laughs> and, you know, people love things that explode and things. But, <laughs> that is true. But it's like, yeah, like how is it? Because I like to try to win. I mean, I like to be competitive and try to win. But it's still the game has to have that that extra intangible thing that makes it a game and not an exercise in just like pure problem solving. You know, and when I say game, I mean chess is a game. But to me, it's not. I hate that game. I mean, I never want to play that. I don't want to try to get good at it. It's it's been around forever. But there's people out there that are just they're just competitive by nature, and they love to they love to win. You know, I mean, there's athletes out there that are like that. There's politicians, I guess, out there. You know, just they just like to win. Perfect example. I mean, um, uh, when I was in in junior high, I was in the chess club, and and I played a lot of chess, and um, and I got I got I got good at it. I mean, I'm not I was never great. I mean, but you know, we we went to tournaments and over, and I I held my own. Um, and, and I dug it, you know, and I, and, but I, but there was the guys in my chess club that really dug it, you know, mm-hmm. and I did it, you know, obviously because it was just kind of like, it was, there was only like a cadre of about six or seven of us nerds and, and we all had to do the same things, you know, to stick together and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, to, to, you know, just, you know, band together in our little clique, but, um, you know, but yeah, eventually I just, I got bored of, of chess because, 
you know, it, it was kind of like the, uh, the, the, the same stuff over and over again. Um, take for example, um, uh, the game cribbage, uh, right. um, uh, my, my, my stepfather loves cribbage. I mean, there was a, a period of time in his life where he, um, he subscribed to a cribbage magazine. He, um, he, he, he read, uh, books on the game. He read books on strategy. He read books on, on, you know, and, and, and the game cribbage is, is fun. I mean, I, I've played it with him several times. I played it with my sister and, um, you know, and it's just like whenever my sister who, who lives on the West coast, and I'm in Minnesota, but when she when she comes home, um, she makes it a point to play several games of cribbage with my stepfather, and then and that's this kind of their thing. They just kind of the two of them go off, and they really enjoy each other's company, and they play it. But he was really into cribbage, and he was part of a cribbage group, and he and that one game, you know, and that that he would he had like. 27 different cribbage boards he hung them on his wall and you know and it's just like but eventually he just kind of you know he, he moved out away from it for whatever reason i don't know if his cribbage group broke up or, or what happened but and and you know i i, I always was kind of surprised by that because the guy he still he's he's got, he's still awesome at the game he beats everybody he plays but i mean but he never lost it if you will but there's a person who who's taken one game and that he doesn't care if he'd ever play another game. I mean, like I've, he's come over and watched us play poker. He likes playing card games, you know, and he's watched me and my friends play poker. And then I asked, do you want to play? And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I'll just watch. And he'll sit there and watch. And, and he'll, he'll actually say, he'll actually, he'll actually, after a few notes, he goes, well, obviously that person had this hand. And just, and he, he knows that just by watching the table and watching what people, though they're betting and everything like that. And he's right. brilliant. But he just doesn't want to play it. He goes, ah, it just wouldn't be fun for me. And I'm just almost like, what? You know, I mean, cause he's, so it's not competitive. It's just for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, cribbage just, you know, just stuck with him. And, right. and I, and that's amazing. And, and maybe that isn't the best parallel to draw, but I mean. No, it's a good, I think it's a good example. It's, it's, you know, people, uh, they learn things different ways, and I think uh, when I was in school, I studied to be a teacher, which I'm not now. But uh, you know, there's three ways that people learn. At least this is what I was told. They learn by watching, by listening, and then by doing. And I think there's an, you can extrapolate from that that not only do people learn different ways, as there are there's certain sort of there's certain mechanisms that agree with people. And if you throw out the theme, you know, like Puerto Rico is an awesome, awesome game, but I can't stand to play that game. I don't know what it is, and it's like that mechanism, whatever, however, whatever my DNA, my gamer DNA is, does not agree with me. And there's other games like that, and it's just, it's not like a, um, you know, it's not like one game is necessarily better than the other. I could bring up a whole bunch of examples of things I don't like, but then we'll just bog down into a discussion of it. Uh, but it's just games just don't agree with everybody, and that's just, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> so. You and and Marco and I, we could do a review and we could just say, um, you know, obviously we'd have to do more than this, but every review could be summed up like this. I really like the game and you might, but it won't be for everyone. Right. And and you could say that about every single game you review. It doesn't matter. And um, 
you know, and I almost think when you, when I, if I, if I, I almost try to keep myself from saying that because it almost feels like a cop out to me because Absolutely. it's like, cause it's like, it's like me saying, I really like this game, but you may not. And if you don't, then it's not my fault. You know, and it's just like, yeah. And, and so I don't like saying that. Um, well, it's a sort of like disclaimer that you know, should be used carefully, but I think it can, it can be useful. I mean, it is true technically that there will always be one person in the world that does not agree with you. So yes, it's not for everyone. But there are games that you can tell that, let's say, people that are watching your review that are into a certain type of game, most likely most of those people will like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I when I did my review of uh, Field Commander Napoleon or No Retreat, uh, I could tell these are awesome games. Even though, of course, it meant there will be one or two people in the world that don't like it. But I know that the type of person that would be interested in that type of war game at the level of complexity and maybe interested in the theme will just have a blast with this. Or, again, my review of Hornet Leader Carrier Air Operations uh, for the six months, eight months maybe after the review came out, at least once a week I would get an email from somebody telling me I just bought the game and I can't put it down. This game is blowing my mind. It's the most amazing game I've ever played. People kept you know, thanking me. I have no idea how many copies were sold because of my review and I'm happy because there were more people playing this game which is totally phenomenal. Uh, and if somebody, you know, writes and says, oh, the game sucks, you know, you're, you're going to give me my money back because I bought it because of you and you're a jerk and now I wasted all this money. I'm not going to re-edit my review to say, yes, but, you know, somebody may not. You know, it's sort of like implicit. And I'm saying this just because I feel myself, you know, called on the spot because um, I just filmed a review of Shannon Doha, The Dance with Me, saying this is not a game for everybody. Uh, <laughs> but precisely because when I say this, it means that it may be more controversial. There may be a larger group of people that do not like it, and the reasons why I think they may not like it are A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I list them, but then there are also the X, Y, Z reasons why people may like it. Uh, hmm. But um, if I can go back to something we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, uh, which is uh, variety that you were saying, the variety of games. Um, if the games, you know, are interesting if they bring in new mechanics, new ideas, new takes on things that we know. But one thing that's great about highly thematic games, such as historical war games, is that there's so much history. You have all the variety that you world that you want in history in all the type of battles that were fought, in all the people that they involved, in all the situations that they uh, involved in, at different levels of scale, you know, by looking at the little battle with man-to-man combat from a, a strategic depiction of all of World War II. Um, so what is great, what I really enjoy, among other things, in war gaming is precisely this. There's so much variety. You may have games that are not astoundingly different from the point of view of the mechanics or the ideas. You know, the old, too well-known combat resolution table. Um, some mechanics that are almost universal in war gaming. Um, and yet, when they're just applied to different topics, to a different uh, situation to different historical setting, then they will result in such completely different uh, situations, completely different experiences, and they will give you insights on different moments of history. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I love so much, just the immense variety. I mean, I just uh, 
I'm playing this game of Overwatch 2. Uh, before that, I played um, I, I played another game of Overwatch 2, but Overwatch 2 in China, Growling Tigers. Um, then I'm, I played a game of American Civil War. I'm planning to play later this week another game of Overwatch 2, but in France. And then two games about the Peloponnesian Wars. Uh, you see, it is just traveling through time and space. Using mechanics that are not striking a difference, but just you have so much you know flavor there and so many different things that come out of it. Right. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, what we've been talking about here is interesting because, first of all, we're three guys that do video reviews of games. You know, and we played tons and tons of games between us. Was probably thousands of games between the three of us. Um, and the, this podcast is being listened to by people most likely on BoardGameGeek or 2d6.org. What's interesting to me is I don't know, but probably 20 years ago, you didn't have this kind of discussion at all about games. And obviously, we aren't the only three people talking about it. There's hundreds of others, at least. And so what's going to be interesting to me is as this becomes more mainstream, and I think it will, you know, how, how people are going, to, are going to view these games. You know, how will, how will like a mainstream media view it and, and, and or something like that? You know, because the games are going to, Evolve, keep evolving, and it's just—it's just interesting to me because we're we're trying to figure out how to talk about the games, and that's something mm-hmm. that, that I have a hard problem with. Like, what language, what words do I use? If I go to, um, you know, my son and say, "Hey, this is a worker placement game," he's going to be like, "Cool, whatever." <laughs> you know, I don't—I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but if I tell him, "Oh, this is a game where you go and you're on an island and you're trying to get the treasure before the island sinks," uh, you know, he'll be like, "Okay." So it's a strange sort of these two sort of, you know, worlds of language tr- sort of approaching. You've got your mechanical language versus your thematic language. And the cool thing is, is they're really, really converging, like Eclipse and Mage Knight. Um, uh, what's, uh, there's another game on top of my head uh, like that, where the theme and the mechanics are starting to bleed, like, profusely into each other. And, and when war games are, are have been doing that for a while, I think, but these other mm-hmm. types of games are now starting to do it. And th- th- I think the game that you're going to keep at your table, just to kind of bring us back to our topic, is the game that does that the best, where the theme and the mechanics are integrated completely. Because theme does not always, you think thematic, you think, okay, you roll dice. Well, that's bull. The theme is also in the mechanics itself. And I make that mistake, too. That's why I say that. It's like, oh, it's thematic, so you must be rolling dice, and it must be random. Well, no. If you're, if, you're, if you're supposed to roll dice, and you're supposed to do something random, then you should roll the dice, but you shouldn't just be buckets of dice. That's bad, you know? But, well, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I like I think it may be, if you agree with me, a game that you uh, would fall under that heading that you just gave would be uh, Eclipse uh, from, from last year. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there is a game that, like, you know, it's it's a thematic game. It's about you know space exploration and and conquest and 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 then but all of the mechanics that are part of that game completely connect and 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 make it uh, the, the awesome game that it is. Anybody could make a game and just say this is spaceships shooting each other, and people are gonna say, oh okay, I like that. I got to roll some dice. I got to you know blow up some spaceships. That was fun. But you know, for that game, why is it why is it so awesome? Because the actual uh, the, the actual mechanisms that, that made the game 
flowed so perfectly and made complete sense. It 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 it, it felt like you were running a space empire. And that that's why that game is is that's why games like that uh, are so much better than than a lot of games that come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean in war gaming, it's it's all dilemma of the script or not the script. You can have games which say, okay, in turn two, you must do that. In turn three, you must withdraw that person. From between turn four and six, you must try to move your units in that direction because that is what happened historically. And there are games that do that. I'm thinking of GMT's KZLO 1940 uh, that came out last year. Uh, very interesting about, really interesting game about the Blitz with Blitz Craig in the West. But there's just so much that happens outside of the board, so much script that you follow. And it's an interesting solitaire study because, of course, it, gameplay tends to match historical events very closely. But then you have games that are not scripted, but that factor in the historical situation uh, as other elements, as, again, the strength of the units, what the units can do, where the units can move, and then they leave it to the players either to re- uh, re, uh, fo- follow the path that was followed historically so the game can work as a simulation or you can create all sorts of what-if scenarios that nevertheless make sense. You know, when, this, when the initial situation made sense, then whatever you do, it's a divergence from history that says, oh, if they had gone that direction, most likely or kind of likely this and that could have happened. Um, so I just think, again, uh, definitely where gaming can do that Especially, I don't want to say good word gaming versus bad word gaming because I think there is battle also in very scripted word games that people enjoy and, and they do give you some insights on history. But the ones that I personally enjoy the most are the other ones, the unscripted ones that, uh, nevertheless, if you want to play them historically, you can. And if you want to go some other direction, you can too. And those are going to usually the ones that stay in my collection and I feel that it will stay in my collection for, for a longer time than others. Well, that was a lot of uh, information uh, to uh, digest. I, I guess, I guess, you know, if, if I if I can get an agreement, or maybe not. I, I think, um, you know, lots of games come out every year, and you know, and and lots of them are good, and but very few of them are 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 great, if you will. I mean, and uh, you know, and there's there's a lot of reasons why um, any game will, uh, you know, really strike a chord. Uh, with with the person playing it, be it the theme or the the, the interaction they have with their friends, or or just the, the feel uh, they get uh, from the game itself, and it's just and for every single time that we've ever you know decided we like or dislike a game, I guess there's like a just a ton of different reasons out there as well as to why a game will uh, stay on somebody's shelf for many many years and and why they uh, will get. Why they, the same game and somebody else's shelf will get traded away, or will just sit there and collect dust instead? Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, I mean, it's, 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 I guess that's probably like the really cool thing about the hobby is, is that, you know, there's so much out there, and there's, and there's just more coming, and, and I, I guess it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a part of the hobby. I, I guess that's the way I feel, anyway. Um, so what do you guys got coming up soon? I mean, what do you, you guys, uh, you know, you got any games coming in the mail or anything that you're going to waiting to come out soon that you're excited about? Joel? Uh, yeah, I, um, got BSG Express. I'm very excited to play that. Um, the other thing that I've got coming in the mail is Caveman Curling. Uh, so 
getting a copy of that, and I ha- can't wait to play with that with my son. I think he'll really enjoy that game. He likes dexterity games. We've got Sorry Sliders, which I'm sick to death of, but he loves it. Um, but yeah, so th- those are the two sort of that are coming up. And I've got a game scheduled, uh, Mage Knight and Eclipse this week, so hopefully I get some more plays of those in. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, the only game, it's, it's weird right now, there really isn't a lot of games, like, coming out right now. It's weird. It's like, usually, like, I, I can look and I can say, oh, that one's coming out and that's gonna be awesome. And, and oh, I'm really looking forward to playing that one. I mean, the only game that's really on my radar right now is, uh, Lords of Waterdeep, actually, mm-hmm. that comes out here towards the end of March. And, and, um, a D&D themed Euro game. I, when I said that, I was like, even if the game stinks, I've gotta, I've gotta own it. I've gotta play it. I've gotta see what it's like. You know, I, it's, it's kind of like, uh, when you hear that, and you know, just like, well, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot. And that's like really the only thing that I'm, I'm thinking of that, uh, I'm excited about that's like hasn't come out yet. I've got games that I have right now that, uh, I, I need to have hit the table that I'm excited to give a shot to. I've got, uh, Pirates of Nassau, or Nassau, Nassau, Nassau. It's a pirate game, though, and I'm really excited to give that a shot. Um, I should be playing that in probably a couple days, actually. And uh, other than that, um, I've got. I mentioned I was I was excited to give Doctor Shark a try. It's like going to be a, kind of a weird uh, dexterity slash almost party game type thing. I'm excited to give that a shot. And there was something else that I either it's coming in the mail or that I, that I've got, um, Margo, you'll be happy to know that, um, I played wizard Kings finally. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So, and, and I enjoyed that. I, I forgot. To, yes. I, I yeah, finally I'm did. I, did. I finally, uh, played a game of that. And then, um, especially Gosh. if I was responsible of that somehow, I'm glad. Maybe you did. You. I was on. I was on the. I was on the edge of the cliff for quite a while, actually. And then I watched your review, and I and I said, Ah, you know what? Let's 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 get this. Let's let's try this out here. So, um, no. Oh oh oh. Uh, uh, it's a game that finally it was an import. Um, that Game Surplus finally got in. Uh, Siberia, which. Um, oh, I've been looking forward to that. Yeah, it was it, it kind of a light economic game in the same vein of Tinner's Trail, uh, uh-huh. which is one of my one of my favorite light um, uh, Wallace designs. And so, um, you know, I, I decided I and then so I picked that up, and I should be getting that in the mail. Oh, and um, I've got like uh, I, I'm I'm going to get a complete uh, set of uh, the first and goal games, uh, the the football game with all the dice. And I'm I'm really for whatever reason I don't know why I'm really excited to play that uh i i i especially with a couple of my friends when we were growing up we played a ton of uh, stratomatic baseball and uh appa football and 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 status pro uh basketball games that um were were, were sports simulations that, that use dice and and so um this first and goal games if you if you look at them they look they look amazing i mean it's just and it's they, unfortunately they don't have an nfl license so um the, the the teams don't have you know you're not playing like the minnesota vikings or anything like that but um it, it they, but you can kind I get the gist from the names of, of the teams that they're kind of trying to replicate mm-hmm. certain things. Figure out who's full. Yeah, you can you can kind of you know maybe put a put a face to a name kind of thing. But um, so I'm, I'm I 
I, I, I just, uh, I ended up uh, picking up the entire set through boards and bits and, um, I should be getting that sometime next week. I'm really excited just to give that a try. So, well, I've heard that you should set aside some time to stick her all the dice. I've heard that that can be quite a chore. Hey, I spent I spent uh, the better part of a, an afternoon last week uh, stickering uh, Wizard Kings and like the four expansion things, the little blocks that I had. So yeah, that, uh, that, I, 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 I had no problem doing that. So yeah. in that the worst the worst games to sticker ever are the games in the comments and color system because you have two stickers per block, and that's like adding you know offense to outrage. But they're good games, so that's worth it. Um, as for me, um, I just got an email tonight that a copy of Washington's Crossing was sent to me. Uh, from, this is a new game from a new publisher. So first thing ever that this publisher uh, produces, the name of the publisher is Revolution Games. Uh, this is a game that covers the winter campaign of 76-77 of the American Revolution. Uh, map looks beautiful, counters look interesting. It seems moderate complexity is what they say, but you can never tell until you actually play the game. And yet it seems to be a pretty meaty, intense game with clearly a large span and probably a lot of depth, if not for nothing else, because the the length of the game is listed as between 6 and 10 hours. So uh, it should be not too hard to learn, but there should be a lot of epic scale. So I'm I'm really curious to try this game. Actually, there's more information about it online. I didn't really look into it. You know, I want to have the, the pleasure that you're discovering what the game is to offer. It looks good. I have an intuition that I can enjoy it. And so um, I don't want to need – I don't need to know much more about it. Uh, tonight, five minutes after we stop uh, recording this podcast, I'm going to go back to my game of Barbarian Prince. I'm going to play Solonet a couple of times until I get so frustrated that I hit my head against the wall and I, and I film a review. Uh, probably, a, probably a positive one because, you know, even though the game is so tough and you die horrendously every time, it is really a nice engine to create stories. Um, I'm planning to play Liberty Roads. I mentioned this in the previous podcast, a French game by Hexasim about um, um, about the last year of the war after the landing of the Allies in in Normandy, World War II, of course. I played the intro scenario, small scenario, just a couple of turns that gives a sense of the main concept of the game, and it was fun. So I'm going to read the rule book for the other rules that will be included in the full game, and I'm going to try this large scenario, large map. I had to sit on the floor because I don't have a table large enough to hold the entire game. It's pretty, pretty large game, a beautiful and it is spring break here. My university is on spring break this week, so this is the perfect week to you know, start playing the game in the morning and just getting the sense of, of the action, be able to play it for you know six, seven, eight hours in a turn. Then I have two games that I mentioned quickly or I referenced to um, earlier, which is two games inspired by the Peloponnesian Wars. So we go back in time, and they're called Sphacteria and Syracuse, after the name of two battles of that war. And they're French games, again, published, actually they're magazine games, but they're published by the, the French war game magazine by Victis. Uh, they're based on the same system, so they're very similar to one another. So, you know, you learn one and then you can easily play the other one. I set up Spectaria and played a couple of turns. I enjoyed the system. I'm still not sure how it works, you know, in the full battle. 
in the game itself, and I think I'm going to play the, the full game of Sphacteria, then I'm going to uh, play Syracuse, and, well, uh, of course, I report on those, and if I have the time, as you can see, I'm trying to keep myself busy in this spring break here, I'm going to try to play, again, Conflict of Heroes. Conflict of Heroes is a game that they played a long time ago. Mm. I enjoyed it, uh, even though it seems not as much as the people uh, were. You know, people were right, this is the best way game ever, it's going to be the new standard in tactical combat. I enjoyed it, but not to the point that I thought it was going to be, you know, like, uh, a, a game changer, meaning you know, it was the beginning of a new age. Uh, but there's a new edition of Conflict of Heroes coming out in a couple of months, and so I just said, well, before that comes out, I want to get a sense again of the old game. Now that I know more about World War Games, I know more about what I like, I want to try it again and see what I feel about it now, now you know, just to know how much I should get excited uh, for the re-edition, the new edition of the game. And I mean, there are people that do not know about the game than from my review um, they will get a better sense of whether or not, again, they should be curious and excited about the new edition of the game. So I'm going to get that one. Look me up on Vassal. I like that game quite a bit. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, I like it too. The, the, my only thing is that is that really, you know, the best tactical game ever made. As many many people that I heard uh, that are talking about were claiming. So the, the 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 game that I want to play is Storms of Steel, not Awakening the Bear. So that's, that's the one I've got. But then I think we're gonna have some good battles on Vassal. In the I don't know if there's a Vassal module for that actually, but uh, we'll is there? I know there's I know there's a vassal module for some conflict of heroes game I don't know which one it's for but mm-hmm. but you can play with the storms of steel rules pretty easily it's just just slightly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, right. you 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 reminded me of one thing and then we can uh, we can we can say adios to our our, our patient listeners. I actually um I also uh, got an email a uh, very very welcome email from uh, Toy Vault and they're sending me a copy of Abaddon. Which uh, I, uh, that's the uh, the new um, scenario-driven uh, two-player uh, mech combat game that they were coming out with, and and uh, I played a ton of BattleTech when I was younger, and I love the idea of giant uh, walking robot tanks, uh, and so anything that takes that theme, I'm highly interested in. So that was that was a happy day when I received that email and they asked if they could send me a copy, and I was more than willing to say yes, please. So um, that. That's, that's a game I'm really looking forward to uh, giving a shot to. You know that's a that's a Command and Colors game. I, I, ah. I mean, what I've heard about is a uh, Command and Colors in space. Yeah. With big robots. Yeah. And which, by the way, I I have nothing against. It seems pretty exciting as an idea. I like yeah. Command and Colors. I like big robots, so <laughs> I think it's cool. Yeah. It but I think I. Yeah. I think Joel's just trying to ruin the game for me. That's no, no. I meant as oh. a, I meant that. Did I sound like it was a bad thing? No, well, no, I meant that as I, a good thing. That sounds. I mean, I I wouldn't be interested. In I also it thought it was wasn't. a good thing. Yeah, if yeah. it was, if it was just like a like a miniatures game, you know, like a tactic, I wouldn't be interested in it. But if it's CNC and Richard Borg designed it, yeah, that looks awesome. See, you know, I'm not a big I'm not a big CNC guy now. I I don't I I tried playing Memoir 44 back in the day, and I didn't enjoy that at all. Well, send it to me then. Well, I'm not. Why would I? Why would I do that? I want. I want. I want to have the giant robots. I want to. I want to. 
Maybe this will be the game that, uh, that that tells me that I just had a bad experience with memoir back in the day. Did and, you play uh, CNC Napoleonics? Well, no, I don't own any of those games. We've been over this. I'm I'm not the war gamer. You you've slowly but surely been turning oh, Joel no. into a war gamer. It's not working <laughs> on me. Oh, I I have to go my throw away my my Wizard Kings. Slowly, slowly but steadily. It starts with Wizard Kings. Ah, oh, no wait. I I really I really liked playing Wizard Kings too. No, oh man. But look, if if you don't purchase a copy, if you find a copy, somebody else has a copy. Give a try to CNC Napoleonics. You know that may change your mind about the entire idea, the entire system. Maybe Abaddon will, but you know, in the system, that is one that is really, really good. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find it and I'll give it a shot. Okay, thank you for joining us on our fourth episode of Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers. Hope you've had fun. Uh, feel free to leave comments in our guild on BoardGameGeek or on 2D6 uh, underneath the post for the podcast. Uh, Look forward to speaking with these two guys again and having you listen to us. Uh, Take care.